0: In this episode of the Crumpled Papers podcast, I am joined by my friend Nicole Nguyen as we discuss the ways in which unhealthy churches view and navigate the outside world, aka all of the beliefs, practices, even people that don't fall in line with what they believe. This week's conversation is based around the topics and themes in chapter 4 of my book A Jumble of Crumpled Papers. If you enjoy today's conversation and haven't read the book, the link to pick it up is in the description below. If you're a first-time listener, I would encourage you to go back and listen to our intro episode, episode zero, to get brought up to speed on what this podcast is all about. But without further ado, enjoy the episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Crumpled Papers podcast. My name is Austin Knoll, and today I'm joined by a very special guest. We have Nicole Huen joining me today, which we'll get into a little bit, but... uh, we have some shared background we both were members of the same church my childhood church for a while a couple years ago several years ago and we'll get into all that but uh first off nicole welcome to the podcast thank you for being here how are you
1: great yeah thanks for having me um loved your book and super excited to chat with you today
0: Thank you. Thank you for that. I like that. That esteem boost. It's great to start off. You're in good standing already. <laughs> um, okay, so, so before we get into anything else about the chapter you're here for or the topics or themes, I just want to start by giving you the stage to give us an overview about yourself, your background, particularly into, in regards to your church and faith journey. Give us the whole spiel. Have as much time as you want. The floor is yours.
1: Yeah, thanks, Austin. Um, Yeah, my name's Nicole Quinn, and I started kind of my faith journey, I would say, when I was uh, 24, uh, 23, 24, and I was definitely seeking and getting to that age where I knew I wanted to settle in on some kind of faith journey. My mother had set me up really well in that she actually taught me that I would decide what I believed about the universe in my life when I was ready which was the greatest gift my mother could have given me. Instead of pressuring me with any belief system, she told me to go figure out the truth for myself. And so Mm -hmm. I did that. I went on this journey um, through a variety of different encounters, some of which I can only describe as God moments and feeling God calling me to some of the more practical things like attending a, you know, creation apologetics class. I landed on the Christian faith um, and I, very much needed a church home though. I, I had this huge Bible and I didn't know what to do with it or how to read it. It was confusing. It actually scared me at times. Um, and, you know, I was playing flag football, uh, just in my recreational league and uh, back in my hometown of Atlanta. And some people had invited me to church and they, they jumped right in. They became my friends. They were willing to study the Bible with me and it all felt good uh, in the outset. Um, and you know, this is actually the same church family that Austin and I come from. So even though it was, this Mm. was in Atlanta, the church family Austin, and I come from is, is global. And so I was at at this other campus and I would say, you know, my, the other thing my mom really gave me in my faith journey that was really valuable is she taught me that it's actually okay to hear perspectives, ones you don't even agree with, and you can take it for what it's worth. And, you know, Thank people, but it's not unsafe to hear things you disagree with. Actually, it's really healthy. So when some of the red flags started popping up with the church initially trying to get me to like not listen to any outside uh, podcasts or teachers, all these other people are quote unquote, you know, wolves in sheep clothing, I think I was really fortunate in that I didn't get fully indoctrinated into what ended up being a very high control group um, once you got to the other side. but I think that's kind of where um, things got kind of messy for me. So once you're in in this this church family, um, they kind of, they teach this doctrine that, you know, you, you will not go to heaven unless you do baptism and salvation a certain way. And that invokes some fear and they use some cherry-picked scriptures to back it up and, and Um, but then they say, oh, but we can't baptize you until we can't give you that access, that, that lack of fear that you're going to go to hell until you do things a certain way. And they have more scriptures to back up this way of doing things they call discipleship. Um, and it's interesting because I still believe in discipleship. I'm still a Christian, but just the way I define it has changed so much. So in their definition of all these things, um, very controlling, lots of pressure, um, you know, People wanted to know when I was talking to guys on the phone at night, what time, what we talked about, opinions on what I wore, where I worked, um, lots of pressure to constantly confess sins every week. It was really, really heavy. Um, And until you did these things, they wouldn't baptize you. So they kind of get you doing things their way. And then, then you get access to this family of believers, right? And they'll baptize you. And so um, I kind of I went along with it, but I always kept my foot out the door a little bit, which I think did save my heart and mind a little bit in this tenure journey that I had. Um, but I never really fit in that well. And you can see that through my church history. I actually bounced around and across our campuses. I don't think I stayed at any campus for more than two years. And that was probably the most because something would happen where um, that. Um, autonomous person, my mother made me would come out and I would not do something the way a leader would want, or I would thank someone for their input but do things the way I felt good about, or I would make a spirit led adult decision about my life that the church wanted to control. And this inevitably led to conflict and pressure, and sometimes even threats. Um, you know, I would even have, I had one person in the church called my therapist more than once to try to control me through that relationship. But I think through all of that, I still had good relationships. And I think that's kind of what keeps you holding on. And uh, I think that's what the biggest thing that made me stay. And I still saw some value in the teaching that was being taught. And I just decided I was just going to do it in a way I felt good about. And I was never going to do more than I felt good about. But I think in doing that, I became... Uh, kind of an icon for resistance to the to the power, <laughs> and I got pushed around a lot. So I eventually, um, you know, after lots of resistance, I kind of took up this mantle. Uh, finally, kind of when I landed where Austin, you know, grew up, um, it was the last uh, campus I had attended, I really decided to challenge the dating culture. I had always felt it was okay to date outside of our church, and it was one of those things that really wasn't allowed. Um, and people would say, oh, you know we're not the only Christians, but then when really confronted with the idea of someone dating outside the church, they would recant really fast and they'd get really uncomfortable and try to label this person as not a Christian. But I did the unthinkable and I um, I uh, met my now husband on a Christian dating app, which by uh-huh. our group of standards was like, woo. Uh, major rebellion. And so that's actually how I found my way out. Um we can get to that story more in a little bit, but um yeah, we were actually pressed pushed out because um he was not accepted as a Christian and I had just finally decided that no one was going to manipulate me and or make a decision as big as marriage for me um that that was between ultimately God and my now husband. So like and input was really important, right? We still want to include our village, but Me standing by that kind of got me pushed out. And I landed in a really healthy church, but definitely looking back, probably similar to what Austin's doing and going, What have I gone through the last last few years? And um, really processing like what it's like to leave a high control group. I knew it was a high control group when I left, but I think the longer I stay out, the more things like I realized that might have been unhealthy that led me to that place. So,
0: no, that's a great summary of of the kind of I mean, the journey that I resonate with a lot because there's a lot of similarities, which with many people we talk to that have gone through similar things. There are so many uncannily similar moments and processes and mindsets um, that you can resonate with for better or for worse. <laughs> um, but right. no, you said a lot of, of good things, good, good segues into the, the overall topic of this episode, which this is episode four based on episode four of my book. And this episode, the title of this episode in the book, oh, the chapter in the book is The World Beyond the Walls. And this chapter is entirely about a church's perception and that perception which they then teach to the members about what I call the outside world, quote unquote. The outside world, anything beyond the walls, both physical and and metaphorical of the church's jurisdiction and what they deem right versus what they deem wrong. Of course, the chapter is all about my own experiences in my own church, which is your, your was your church as well. Um, and it's one of those things which you mentioned. once you're out, of course, there's things when you're there, you, you see that you don't sit that doesn't sit right with you. But once you're out, you look back and go, "Wow, those lines were a lot more defined than maybe I even noticed when right. I was there. And that was true for me, uh, yeah, it was true for you like. There are so many things, and it's tricky when it comes to a faith, a Christian faith, because there are things that are better and there are things that are worse, there are things that are right and there are things that are wrong. But the danger comes when the people put in places of leadership or quote unquote authority over you, their idea of what's right and wrong, good and bad, can overrule both what you believe and sometimes what even the Bible says, or other believers believe. So that's kind of the foundation there set for this conversation. And I want to, you've already kind of started to talk about this, but I wanted to, in in terms of those specific ideas of the way a church navigates what is considered good, right, safe, in terms of faith or one's well-being, and what is considered bad, dangerous, a threat to one's faith. What has your experience been with those specific ideas?
1: It's interesting because as I read your book um, and I got to this chapter, something that I found very interesting is that I, even though you grew up more as a child in the church up through teens and then like heading towards college, I actually Mm -hmm. entered the church as a young single person going into like um, eventually in my 30s, and your experiences almost identically mirrored mine. So there's this hmm. mindset and methodology, even I would say a language around how the system works and sure. how the system controls and influences, and I would even say at times manipulates. And it it resonates across life stages because even though your book is targeted at a certain Um, age demographic and, you know, upbringing in the church, I felt that resonate deep within my soul as a young adult. And so my experiences with um, kind of this idea of like, what's dangerous and what's not, I think, and I do want to say this, I, I do believe that people had the best intentions, that a lot of this structure was built out of fear. And this idea that if we don't get the quote unquote flock to behave a certain way and meet this certain standard set by man, then we have failed and they have failed and maybe their salvation's on the line, which are all things that like, I have definitely overturned. But I think where the real threat comes in is when leadership kind of inserts itself between God and us as kind of Mm -hmm. these, these extra layers of standards and expectations. And so, in terms of my experience, I think maybe the the first step towards unhealthy was when the church kind of decided they knew what was true. And if you enter any faith situation having an absolute in your hands, especially as a leader, then everything else around you, of course, seems dangerous. Right. Um, and so things that were see, you know, considered dangerous in these cases were um, like the ultimate thing was really anyone outside the church, right? So they had defined Christian, or as they would say, disciple, um, basically as only people baptized by this church. And you can see this reflected. I'll give you an example. I actually spoke to a friend recently who, um, I had no idea had encountered this, you know family of churches, I would say even a decade ago. Mm-hmm. A Christian man, Christian woman, dating in college. And the man meets, you know, this movement on campus. And as a already identifying Christian starts, um, just studying the Bible with them and they convince him he's not really saved. He's not really following Jesus because he's not following this mindset and actually convince him to break up with his now wife, um, but girlfriend at the time, because she wasn't a Christian in their minds. And these are two like God fearing, loving people. Right. Um, yeah. They were just faithful people they might not have agreed with everything the church said, but, um, in doing that, like they nearly like wrecked his relationship with her. Right. And so, I mean, he eventually kind of got, he came to realize like, oh, this isn't healthy. And he separated and they, they got back together and all worked out. But I would say the ultimate danger is usually painted as really anything outside the church. Um, But then the next layer I would say is anything they just deemed as sin. So a lot of the system was built around stopping you from ever doing anything wrong by going to great lengths to have you share insanely personal things that were not appropriate to be shared many times with leaders, I would say they would try to assert themselves in mental health spaces and in marriages and relationships in ways that really only, I would say, therapists needed to. And then the opposite side of that is there were a standard of faith practice, right? So anything not perfectly a quiet time that you read your Bible and you pray every day at this time and this thing that felt like there was this structure that you know, and I'm dyslexic and I have OCD. So I'll go ahead and say that, which was really hard for me doing it their way. And I actually had to find it hard to like connect with God doing it their way. But because of all this fear mongering that happened, I thought, well, if I don't do this, like I'm at least going to be shamed by them and I'm going to be seen as weak and struggling and put on this weak and struggling list. So I would say those two things to start, right. Which is this idea that anyone outside of the church is not even a Christian, and then there's this hyper control of getting you to behave a certain way, whether not doing bad things or doing things in their eyes that were perfectly righteous in practice.
0: I mean, I completely agree. I, in my book, I kind of am describing a little bit of what you're saying, and I, I kind of lament the looking back the fact that as a church we believe that we had God completely figured out. We believe that whatever code god was comprised of we had figured out each number in the exact order and had the exact image and ideals and whatever else about him so that meant that every idea practice ideology we held about that and the ways that we lived our lives in reference to that were correct and if you're if you believe you're correct about every single thing you're doing then it's only natural that you believe. That anybody doing anything different is inherently wrong, right? And it's it's one of those things where for me, growing up in the like as a church kid, being born and raised into it, you trust the people telling you these things. So of you of course, there's no reason why you would think otherwise. And if you sat down and thought about it, you would realize, oh, all the right things are actually the things being done by my church, and all the wrong things are being done by everyone else. But at the same time, if I was told that back then, I would go, oh yeah, it's true. That, I guess we're right. And that's a lot of people, regardless of their age, they believe it because, I mean, part of it is that they honestly believe it's true. And there are many, I'm not going to say there are many things in our church that be- they believed were a certain way that I still believe are true about certain things about Jesus sure. and God and the way you're supposed yeah. to live. There are many things that were true, but it's the problem of the umbrella. In the opening of the book, of the chapter, I... Kind of metaphorically compare the church to. I'm a huge Walking Dead fan, and I I compare it to the idea that in an apocalyptic scenario, your community, your walled community, erected to keep you completely safe from all the threats of the outside, is is your bastion, and any step you take outside that wall of fortification and safety is an inherent threat to your life to your well-being, to whatever else. And so many things translate over to spiritual communities in terms of the ones that veer towards the more unhealthy side of the spectrum. There are plenty of that do do it in a great way. But in these unhealthy spiritual contexts, it's embedded in you that for your well-being, Don't go outside these walls, don't talk to these people, don't engage in these ideas, or even humor or entertain these thoughts that could lead you astray, quote-unquote astray, down the wrong path. And what that does is creates a community full of people who think the exact same way, who have an adverse perception of things that could be a threat to just whatever idea you hold on to and belief. And I mean, I'm going on a whole bunch of different things here, but one thing that does is completely prohibits any evolution of, of belief or idea because you are scared in many ways or trained not to doubt or question the ideas that you've been taught are the absolute truth. And why would you? If they're the absolute truth, there's no reason to search for anything deeper. That's kind of what I talk about in the book. And that's kind of what I believe about it all.
1: I think the other hallmark sign of this type of hyper control is that anyone who opposes or suggests new ideas is seen as struggling or a threat. And yes. I think that's where you see me bounce around a lot, um, with my history in the church. Um, and that's where my mom taught me that it's okay to question things or, you know, I'd actually listened to other teachers like Francis Chan and I'm listening to this yeah. podcast called Bema, and I have for years. So in bringing new ideas or respectfully challenging the status quo, um, that's actually where I ended up a target for getting in trouble a lot because I was challenging what they saw as the truth. And so I found myself constantly trying to toe the line of keeping everyone happy. And that's where I really look back and wish I would have maybe opened my eyes a little sooner or done things differently. Right. I'm kind of in this phase of looking back, but, um, there were times I knew something wasn't right and I just tried to keep the peace and, and that ended up, you know, only harming me in the long run, but yeah, it's, it's tough.
0: Yeah, and you and you talked about you brought up which which is the thing that I have experienced with not personally but but uh, kind of seeing certain friends and people that I know go through this. How your boyfriend at the time, husband now, was told he he wasn't a real Christian because he was just a Christian from somewhere that wasn't our church. He wasn't made a Christian in the mold that our church uh, wanted him to be made into, right. and that happens. A lot, and for people who haven't listened to earlier episodes, in our particular church organization, when you were wanting to become a Christian, you were led through a series of curated Bible studies, which gave you the the basics of what we believed and what the Bible says about certain things, and then you're baptized and you become a disciple. Which we kind of coined the phrase "disciple," which is in the Bible, but to mean almost a a a a superior style of Christian, which kind of was a way to elevate the Christians made in our church over any other Christian in terms of the things we believe, the way we live life, the practices we do are just a little bit better or more accurate or more faithful or whatever. And because of that, any, any person who came to our church who may already be a Christian or may be a Christian for 30 years or 40 years, anywhere else, had to re- Relearn in quotes the Bible through our lens and get baptized into our system. You become a disciple, not just a Christian. Oh, you're a Christian? Okay, but are you a disciple? I don't think so. Let's re study because you're bound to have some things wrong. And we're going to tell you the exact right way to believe this scripture. This is who God is, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's a dangerous slope for many reasons. Can you expand more about that when, when your boyfriend. were Okay, were you. Were you dating him before you came to our church or did you, how did that whole process go and everything about that? I want to learn more about that.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, And kind of leading into that story, I think something awesome. I'm not sure if you ever noticed, but our church only grew from quote unquote new converts. There were really no outside transfers. So the only way the church grew was new baptisms in terms of like new membership. Um, They didn't consider anyone that weren't literally wasn't baptized in our church a member. So Uh, maybe an alarming factor is that the only ways the membership grew is through conversions and church should have Christians coming and going if they're really embracing like the, you know, God's true open kingdom. Um, But yeah, my now husband and I, I did was not dating him. Actually I dated, I did things the church's way for a little bit and um, not even because I necessarily agreed with it, but honestly it was way too much of a headache to try and, you know, Push on the status quo. Yeah, do it any other way. I actually knew for a fact that if I went outside of our church, that I don't think I was going to be able to be in the church anymore. I I knew that that's not how that worked. I'd actually never seen anyone do it. I've seen people try; they get pushed out. And I was really involved in these dating groups and singles groups. And I was, I think this is where I had finally had enough, and I went from my people pleasing and peacekeeping. Um, you know, I dated a couple of times and I learned a lot from those experiences, but I think I realized a couple of things. I didn't think I would find my future husband in our church. It was a small dating pool. And, um, you know, looking to find a Christian husband is already a small dating pool to begin with. Um, You know, not the tiniest, right, but to find someone really aligned with your values. Um, But you make it even smaller, almost impossible when you narrow it down to just one type of church. And, but right. the other side of the point is, I think I realized, Austin, I didn't actually want to marry someone with the mindset that came with our old church. And it really hit me one day that like, I need to marry someone who is open-minded. Like I need someone who's going to, um, walk with me when I want to explore something or challenge an idea. Um, something I learned through this Bema podcast I'm on, um, you know, that the Jewish Uh, People actually see truth, not as absolute as truth is evolving and truth is ever revealing. And I started to become really comfortable with this idea that my journey with God will be this never ending revelation of growth and truth and learning more and realizing, oh, I didn't have that right. Let me try that again. Let me continue to follow the spirit. And as I became that woman, I realized I needed to find a man who would be of that mindset. So um, I consciously, while I was at the church that you and I went to, I started on a Christian dating app and I kind of publicly journaled my experience on our singles dating site. Um, Mm -hmm. There was a closed Facebook group. It had about 5,000 people on it. And I remember this one time, you know, through this journey, I had gone on this coffee date with someone. It wasn't going to work out for either of us, but it was a nice chat. And I shared a picture of the Getty where we went and just said, like, I just want everyone in this group to know, I just on a coffee date with a, you know, perfectly nice Christian man from outside of our church. And I just want to encourage everyone that it was healthy and it was safe. There was nothing sinful about it. Um, I tried to really break down some of the perceptions the church had sure. taught. And, you know, I remember this, there, were, there was someone that actually wrote this almost dissertation about what a shame it was that I would make all these women struggle. And what a horrid example I was setting, that I'm leading women astray and I'm going to cause some of them to not go to heaven one day. And I will have to stand before God and explain myself. I mean, this got really serious. Yeah. Um, another, another person commented that uh, this is how women, you know, end up running away and getting knocked up and coming back with no man and a baby on their hip. And like, oh man. <laughs> this is how it- Extreme hot inside. Mm -hmm. And you know, I replied to that person. I'm gonna be really honest. I said, you know, honestly, um, that's not how sex works and I cannot get pregnant from going to coffee with a fully clothed, you know, single Christian man. That's just not that's not how that happens. Um, and so this is kind of what I was facing, and there were plenty of people on the thread that were just they were celebrating, finally someone's doing it, finally, like someone's paving the way. This is totally okay, but then you know leaders start catching wind of what I'm doing. I start getting phone calls from churches of people I don't even know. And I realize I'm a a little bit, uh, I'm starting a little bit of a wave. And I have people from all over that site contacting me saying, you know, how are you talking to your leaders? I don't have permission to do this. And I started engaging on this journey where I was having to empower people that don't need another adult's permission to make a life choice. Like you really don't, if you are making a, like it is perfectly healthy for you to make a spirit led decision and really trying to talk a lot of these women through this. And I think the saddest thing in all of this is there's so many women that I believe will not marry because they, they feel like they are going to be martyrs for the cause of only marrying within the church and they may miss out. And they feel like they're doing it for Jesus when they don't have to do it that way. Like they can go Mm -hmm. outside the church. It is totally okay. Um, As long as they find someone with similar values, right. And someone that works with them, but there's plenty of Christians outside of the church, or at least the one we went to that are like that. And um, it just makes me really sad to know a lot of the women I've spoken to, or I see aren't opening those, those doors and may, you know, not be willing to expand their dating pool because they really think that like they must date with inside the church. But, you know, uh, shortly after that instance, I connected with my my now husband and um, it was on a dating app called Upward. I highly recommend it because it. I've
0: heard of Upward. Yeah.
1: Yep. You can put your f- faith values right up there up front. And that's what I did. We matched. And so we started dating and You know, our church had this way of dating that was hyper-controlled. You had to talk for six months. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Yes. That's going to be a whole episode
0: in a couple episodes. I have a whole chapter about (laughs) some of that.
1: (laughs) Yes. So I skipped all of that, by the way. So I decided I was going to just date like a normal adult. I didn't have like- Good for you. (laughs) You know, I I told people, and he met people. But when we were ready to start dating, we didn't jump through any hoops. We just started dating. And- I decided to have this barbecue at my house cause I wanted him to have a soft landing. And this is where I think I started to really realize like, I was not going to be able to stay. Um, is when I started having to like try to soften the, the weirdness of my church and over-explain what was going on to him and like shield him from all the crazy that I was experiencing. So I, I planned this barbecue cause I thought I don't want to do this at church. I want people to meet him on neutral ground and me, 50, 60 people came over and he pulled me aside and was like, Hey, there's this guy that just pulled me aside and said, Hey, uh, we don't really let our sisters date men from outside the church. So you should consider yourself lucky. And he was like, what is he talking about? Nicole? You know, when I got text messages, people just really ashamed of my decision saying they've never seen people do this successfully and righteously. And You know, I challenged these people. I said, you've never met him. You are prejudging him based on his, like, he was saved and baptized. You've never heard his story, but it is absolutely beautiful. He was baptized at a worship conference. Like, I love this man so much. And he loves God so much. And Wow, like that just makes me really sad that you're judging him on the basis that like he just is not a member of your church. So that's where the resistance started. And, uh, you know, we continued. We let everyone know kind of our intentions. When we realized we wanted to get married, we were very open with our friends, um, especially those in our small groups. And, you know, we tried to do things in a way that was kosher with the church, but still not outside of, you know, what we felt comfortable with. And then we actually at some point decided to get married. And this is where it kind of blew up you know, I think people were almost tolerating us. (laughs) I don't know if that makes sense. It wasn't serious to them until maybe we decided to get married. Right. And, you know, when that happened, um, you know, I had some really rough phone calls. And I actually had a small group leader raise their voice at me. What was I thinking? I had not asked them. And it was confusing because I'm like, we did talk to you about this. We've talked about this like four or five times. What do you mean we didn't talk to you? And we're like, no, you didn't ask. And what it really came down to is they were not involved in the final decision making of us to get married. And I'm like, of course not. Like, you can't decide whether or not it's time for me to get married. Because if I end up in a, our marriage ends up rough, like I can resent you for it. Or if I don't move forward, I can resent you for that too. Like my husband and I have to, or my boyfriend and I have to make that decision on our own between us and God, obviously I value the input of my family and friends and I'm going to involve them. But ultimately we were kind of told that like, we were not going to be given any shepherding or guidance, like premarital was taken off the table. And this was a way of like, I had a friend describe this to me. It's kind of like saying like, well, you can eat in the same lunchroom, but you can't sit at our lunch table. Um, and when I say I was pushed out, people like, well, no one kicked you out. It's like, well, when you withdraw, like premarital support and guidance and typical like just family support from a church like you' ba- I, I actually think it's really healthy to have like family resources in a church and community, yeah. and so we were going to have to go somewhere that provided those things to us in a really healthy way. so we did' end up um, when all those things were withdrawn we we left, and honestly, it was at such a sensitive time. Um, you know we were newly engaged now, had no church home and Austin, I think, I don't know if you allude to this in your book or not, but like when you leave our church, you are shunned. You are no longer a friend. You are a fall away. So I was- Nobody
0: leaves your church on good circumstances, even if they do. Correct. Right.
1: Yeah. So like I was going into what should have been the happiest time of my life, grieving friendships and just thinking like I thought it would be different for me. I thought you would have trusted me. I thought you would still love me. And there's a few friends that obviously did. And no matter what, they're going to love me. And many of those people were in my wedding. Um, But like the most heartbreaking thing for me was like my bridal shower, which was like painfully absent of friends that I thought would be there. And then my wedding was actually painfully absent. Like I cut my list hugely after all that. And, but I, I, I'm also okay with it because I realized who my real friends were and who really loves me and have been able to move forward from there and start at a healthy church with my husband and this young marriage group we have that we love. We're healing all of the hurt. We've gone to this course called Alpha, where we got to process a lot of our church trauma and uh, with no pressure. And I think we're really finding the light at the end of the tunnel um, of what the other side of this looks like and really getting our feet you know, grounded in a place that like fully respects our autonomy as a married couple and as individuals, and doesn't overcross boundaries, and no one's calling yeah. my therapist to try to manipulate me, and it's just been a really great start for my husband and I. So that's that's my story, and it's a bit long-winded, but that is what yeah. landed us here today, Austin.
0: I mean, you said so many so many things. I, I, I had thoughts on. There's so many good things you said. Um, my first thing as you were talking was in my head. I don't know why, but my mind went to Monsters, Inc., and uh, the, I feel like so many things you were describing, I was like, man, this just feels like the church, or at least unhealthy churches, I think that's a good distinction to make. Unhealthy churches can tend to treat anything outside, anything of the outside, ideas, beliefs, people as the people in Monsters, Inc., the monsters treated that sock on the worker when he came in through the door. The 2319, it was this lockdown because this peace, this contaminated peace outside their world came in and it was a threat to everybody for whatever reason. And it's funny because in the movie they realize, oh no, these people are no threat to us. Anyway, but I don't know why my mind went there, but it's, it's, it's kind of a decent metaphor for the way our church and many other churches who view faith like this treat the the potential threat of anything contrasting their own views on what is right and it's so dangerous but it's so hurtful and damaging to people outside the church as well but mainly the people inside because I mean one other thought I had was just how how small of a deal you posting about this this person that you had had a date with or whatever outside of the church's membership, how small of a deal that is and how big of a deal, a problem became because people were so threatened by it. And it's, if it's coming from leadership in my experience, it's they're threatened of the ideas um, imposing themselves on other members. Right. Yeah. And if 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 it's from the membership, it's a fear of how the leadership will respond to them interacting with those ideas. And it's all fear, either way. It's a, it's a fear of a loss of control on one side. In the worst case scenarios, there are people with good intentions that are just, have been taught that this is the way things work, which I totally understand. And then membership-wise, people have been taught their entire lives that this bubble is the way that life works. And I, I believe, you know, God has a curated plan for each of our lives to lead us closer Absolutely. to him and whatever. But for the people that may not find and understand or be exposed to the underbelly of this this systematic ideology there's gonna be a lot of years or a lot of time spent so fearful of stepping any toe outside the predisposed lines that you are allowed to walk not just physically physically too but mentally emotional spiritually in any aspect of their lives i want to ask you what have both before you left and after you left and realized even deeper how damaging these ideas are, how did the certain teachings and ideas about us versus the other, out versus the outside, how did those impact and, ex- and influence the way you approach your faith and relationship to God and others, etc.?
1: Yeah, and I think uh, it's a great question, and I feel like I guess I just want to say first that like imagine being my husband and knowing that no one thinks you're a Christian and everyone thinks you're a threat to to someone, um, how that must've felt. I think for me, what it took to snap was, I think when it was happening to me personally, it was never enough to leave, but like I love and respect my husband's walk so much. I adore his faith and I love him so much as a person that it took me loving someone so intensely to, to say like, oh, this is not going to happen to someone else. And then, okay, we are, it is time to change. And I'm going to be as vocal as it takes as respectfully as I can. Um, even if it means losing all of you, because my husband is worth more than any amounts of friendships I have. Like I, if I had to choose, you know, between that community I had and having lots of these friends and just him, I would choose him any day. Um, I think that, I always had this tension between the church culture and the outside world that I tried to hold. I think that's where my people pleasing nature came in. and kind of what happened for me is I think I tried and this this was disingenuous, I suppose, of me, but like uh, I did it out of fear, right? I was always af- afraid to go too far and be quote unquote punished by the church. Right. Um, you, you yep. know, Austin, we have the church discipline structure and yes, you know, I have friends who crossed the line too much, who had their sins read right in front of the church. And that is actually like scapegoating. You know, I've done a, a lot of research into high control groups and cults and, um, scapegoating is like the, fastest way to get people under your thumb because even if you disagree with them kind of what they say is well it's better to be in a broken church than to lose your soul and they just get you thinking just a little bit but if I just step outside the line like what are the chances that you're right even though I think you're wrong right. so I think that you know I I had to I guess unleash myself from underneath the thumb of what they would call spiritual authority um you know, they'll quote the hardest deceitful above all things who can know it and really get you to distrust yourself. And I think what I had to really let go of is that I, yes, I need to test things in my heart because my emotions can sometimes be leading when I think, sure. you know, if I'm not paying yeah. enough attention. And I've really learned to test what I would say spirits, right? Like I have to ask myself if I'm being led a certain way, like, is this aligned with God's character? Like, do I see this in scripture? or am I just wanting to hear what I'm hearing? But I think the ultimate thing I had to let go of in that methodology, because I never really bought into a lot of it. I think I more or less just functioned under it, but I had to finally get to a place where I said, I can trust myself as a daughter of God with just my relationship with God. Like if I just had God and the Bible, what would I do here if this church didn't exist? And I just had to rely on the Holy Spirit and my best effort and maybe a couple of people around me, like, what would this look like? And um, I had to flip this coin where I was ready to step out. And I think I always knew that that was there. And I kind of functioned that way a little bit, right? I would test the waters by still, you know, making my own decisions, kind of getting pushed around the churches and stuff. But when I really flipped the coin and just said no more, it was very freeing, but it was also very terrifying because there's something that feels safe about structure that, okay, well, if I do it this way, I get in, but that's very transactional. And that's just not the way your relationship with God works. Right. I don't think God wants transaction. He just wants a personal relationship with you. And I think that on the other side, I have learned like, I let go of any amount of being told it has to be this way. You have to pray this way. You have to read your Bible this way. And what I did is I actually stopped everything. And this may sound sacrilegious, but I stopped having quiet times. Like I stopped doing all the I did for (laughs) about four months. And, but it wasn't, but I did not let go of God and I didn't stop talking to God. But what I did was I just stripped myself of this system. And I didn't know how to start over until I spent some time detoxing. And I just knew God would meet me where I was at. And I went through that alpha class. And what I started regaining is I think I connect best with God this way, you know, when I listen to worship music or when I'm I can journal this way. And like I really, I think figured out my relationship with God that was personal to me that I knew God embraced and I felt most connected to God. And in that I found how to worship God in a way I'd never felt before. Like I felt emotionally connected to God. God felt tangible because I was having breakthroughs in ways that were really personal between me and God, instead of it just being dictated by a system or a way of doing things. And when I realized how personal the journey was, then I realized I was at church and I was singing more freely and I was enjoying it. And I just, And I still like have my moments where I'm tired and it's not always the easiest thing, but I don't think I've ever felt so connected to God than I have on the other side of this. So I don't know if I answered your question well, but really like, I think for me, it was like letting go of allowing myself to be told that only a leader knows or should dictate what things should look like. And once I was able to get rid of that, and I'm still working on it, I think I found all sorts of freedom.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in a system like this, where it's only our bubble of right and the outside bubble of wrong, or outside everything else is wrong, the system becomes your god. Whether you like it or not, it does. Because and and the lines are blurred because you'll believe that the system is a representation of what God wants. So you're like, okay, as long as I'm in the system, I am following God. But That's such a slippery slope, which is a term that they like to use a lot. Slippery slopes, but I'm using it this time. It's my term now. Um, It's it's a slippery slope because when the way a church does something, the way the leaders do something, the way you're told to do something, is absolutely equated with what God wants, and you're told not to question it, regardless, because we have your God's intention at heart. Then, even when the church and the things that are being told start to veer away from that you're, uh, what's the word, disincentivized from questioning whether that is God or not. So you'll end up down the road all the way over here when God is all the way on the other side of the spectrum, but yet you still full-heartedly believe that you are where God is and you're doing what God wants, even though the system has been the, the conductor of the train now and God is over here saying, hey, I mean, God's still with you. But you're not going the way he would want you to go, <laughs> or do the things he wants you to go, or know the things about him that he wishes you would, and the authenticity of that. And it takes out a lot of the the personal aspect of you're talking about this authenticity and naturalness of a relationship with God and how you kind of discovered that more as you kind of stepped out of that systematic thought process. And it's so true when you're in that kind of mindset, in that bubble, and everything is a right or a wrong, good or a bad, you almost don't need God because you're told exactly how to live, exactly what to believe, exactly what to do or what not to do, what lines to stay, what boundaries to stay in between, what lines not to cross. And it can kind of, even though most of the time, the things that are in those lines are completely off the mark. There's a safety that comes with believing, okay, if I just follow these things and I'm being told to follow, I'll be good with God. I'll be good with salvation. I'll be good with faith. I'm okay. But then the whole time you've realized I haven't actually asked God because I've been dissuaded from asking God about what he believes, what I believe about a certain thing. Because if I ask God to lead me in this and he leads me away other than the way the church is telling me to go, I'm gonna be told I'm wrong anyway. Yeah. So what's the point of asking God? Because if my answer veers from what they actually tell me to do then I'm going to be considered veering the wrong way anyway. It's, it's, it's such a twisted loop. And stepping out of that, for me too, you discover, man, there's so much more freedom because the boundary lines, there are still, I guess, boundary lines with certain things because it just is, but, but it's not do this and you're good, do this and you're bad, do this, whatever, don't do this. It's here I am. God's saying, here I am. Here's me. Enjoy. Enjoy. I'll lead you this way. Just talk to me. I'll lead you this way. Learn about this stuff, experience this stuff, and the world is yours. And it's so, the horizons are open so much more. And that is where you will find a deeper, more authentic faith. That is where you will find more confidence in yourself and in Christ and in all this stuff. That's where the excitement and the enjoyment of life comes, not from this list of lines not to cross, ideas not to question, things not to do et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But those points you brought up really had me thinking about that stuff and that was really good. So as a follow-up to that question, I wanna ask you this. On the reverse side of all those teachings and ideologies that weren't good, how has your changing perspective on the outside world altered or influenced how you then viewed or approached your faith with God or relationship?
1: Yeah, I think that, I think the thing that stood out to me while you were talking is And this was, this to me is the scariest part of the conversation we are having, which is all the friends I've had that have just completely walked away from God because God got so distorted in the system. And I think you even said it right when you said like the church become, or the system becomes almost God. If you follow this system and pledge your life to it, it, thinking this is the way and then you unpack it and realize it's nowhere near where I was supposed to be and a lot of this stuff is unhealthy and we're off the mark then your understanding of God may also be off the mark and you know I feel like I was protected and that I was able to step away but I separated God from the the sins of people and the flaws of people um, and preserved my relationship with God and just restarted but so many people I love have said I don't want anything to do with it anymore I want like I have been so hurt by this system. I have been so harmed. I do not see any good on the other side. And, you know, I'm trying to stick with my friends and just, you know, encourage them with what I have seen helping on the other side. Like my, my husband and I go to a new church and um, you know, we're in this message series right now that is just really calling us to um, just love unconditionally because the modern church is such a, a horrible job at prejudging people before they're in like, well, you're in this, this, and this sin. And there's this kind of, yeah, this prejudgment of people coming in the church doors and they're like, no, 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 no. We just start with love. And if someone falls in love with Jesus so much, it's then that they look at their life and say like, Oh, do I want to change some things? Like Jesus's way is healthy. The boundaries Jesus gives in life. Those are actually I can see the good in those, but that that thought process usually should come if it's coming from the heart after someone falls in love with Jesus. And how can anyone fall in love with Jesus if there's a, this prejudgment of like, well, you're not good enough, and you're dressed the wrong way, and your lifestyle this or that. Like if you're going into an environment prejudged, like I just feel like you're off. Yeah, you're not going to be super into this idea of religion or Jesus. So. Yeah. Um, on the other side, yeah, I just think that I'm just really focusing on loving like Jesus, like never watering down the gospel, right? Um, and I would say the other thing is, and we just had a sermon on this at my my new church, which is so many churches make secondary issues, primary issues. And that's mm-hmm. where we get into all these debates. Um, and, you know, the, the the primary issue, there's only one, which is the gospel mm-hmm. of Jesus. It is the message of love. And it is the relationships that it is extended, the sacrifice that was made, um, and the invitation to have a relationship. And it stops there. Um, we can debate about all kinds of things, but when we make those secondary things primary, we get distracted, we hurt people. And those are things that are good to talk about, but I think I'm just really focusing on loving God and loving others two greatest commands. Um, and I'm going to let the rest follow. I'm going to trust Jesus with the rest God with the rest and really just focus on love in a way that, you know, I just, I think right now I really want to make sure I'm the safest place someone can go to if they're in pursuit of faith or even not. Right. Like I just want to be a safe person for people and show that love. And I know that's good enough. Um, and when they want to talk about it, we can talk about it. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question, but.
0: Oh no, that's great I mean the whole thing about secondary issues becoming primary later on in the chapter I, I kind of close by talking about how we spend so much time acting and speaking and doing through the perspective and mind and belief that the church and its foundation its influence is in constant danger and constant threat of being compromised or people are in threat of falling away and going to hell and all this stuff constantly. And because of that, all the stuff that comes out of that and the way we navigate our lives and navigate others' lives comes from one step the wrong way leads to 100 people losing salvation. You know, that's extreme, but it's it's not that far off the mark from what people believe. And when you believe that the church is in danger, that salvation is in danger on either a, a personal individual scale or a mass scale. All of these secondary issues in your own life or others' lives become primary because any of these can be the inciting thing that causes the downfall of the church or the downfall of your personal faith or the, the, the estrangement of God or with all of these things. And the freedom from that comes when when you realize God's true nature is so much more powerful, and His sanction over that, and over people, and over church, and over the good things, and over whatever—it's so much stronger than we give Him credit for. We think it's this flimsy thing. We believe that our the way we navigate a certain thing, the way we the the clothes that we wear on a Sunday, or the um the way we word that certain sentence has the power. To disrupt the navigation of God's will for someone's life or the church? Like, do we really give ourselves that much credit? But when we realize, when we're given the freedom to really seek and find God's true nature and thus his true strength and hold over the things that he wants to be held in good standing and the way he wants us as individuals to be led forward, we are alleviated of so much pressure that we can somehow lead so much of that off the path. And that makes us not have to worry about the secondary issues. If some secondary issue becomes pertinent and we believe we're being called to challenge or question the way we're viewing that, then great. Because that's led by love, led by Jesus. And okay, great, I'll, I'll, I'll take a look at that. Maybe there's a way I wanna, or even other cases, my friend, I'm being told maybe, maybe I should offer just, hey, maybe this is not the best way to do this. But if you're being led somewhere else, okay, that's fine. You doing that will not send you to hell. It will not implode the church. You know, a lot of this wording to say that that pressure is not there. It doesn't need to be there because the church is not in danger. We're not in danger. God, God is not in danger of anything. God right? is not in danger and no one has the power to, to threaten him. And we're, if you're in God, then we're fine. We're good. And I think that perspective alleviates so much. I love it. I have one more question for you. Okay. <laughs> one more question. Yeah. So this is a a question I ask every guest. My book, A Jumble of Crumpled Papers, and this podcast, The Crumpled Papers Podcast, are all about the idea of this metaphor of crumpled papers, which are the ideas or beliefs that we may have at one time believed with full certainty, but at some point realized we needed to reevaluate our perspective on. So I want to ask you, what is one or a few of the biggest or most important crumpled papers of your own that you've had to unlearn or gain a new perspective on?
1: Yeah, I think the biggest one, and this is one I don't even think I've scratched the surface on yet, which is because I was raised spiritually in a fear and guilt driven environment. That is the first place my mind goes in most circumstances. And it's not even just in my relationship with God. It's in my it shows up in my marriage. It shows up my friendships, my relationship with my mom, but primarily my relationship with God. And it's painful because I'm not getting to enjoy sometimes the freedom in Christ um, and really enjoy his grace and being led by the spirit because I will become crippled by fear and anxiety. And I'll have that whisper in my head of my old church. Um, I mean, it, it really does sometimes sound like if you do that, you're going to hell. You know, or if you if you can't fix that, you're going to hell. Like it's, and that's so not true. But like, I think just all the repeated, like the constantly sit down, what we call discipling, where like I was constantly having to confess what was bad in my heart and what I was doing wrong, and like all the digging that was done in my heart, even trying to find things that weren't there, and the fear of God, no, the unhealthy fear of God, right? Um, that God's almost this like what I call the gotcha God, like. He's just waiting for me to screw up, like, gotcha, like, ha, gotcha now. Um, That is, I think that's going to be a multi-year journey. And I think I will be crumbling up that paper and throwing it away probably every day for a while. And I have the incredible support of my husband to remind me of God's grace. I've got friends to remind me. Um, And I think that's where the healing really becomes tangible is when someone is gracious with me as a person, I can experience that on earth. Um, like it is in heaven, and yes. it's helping heal me. But I think that is one that I am on this long journey of, and really trying to lean into the love and grace, um, and perfection, and just warm father like relationship I have with God. Um, and I'm working on it. It's it's a it's a work in progress.
0: That's the thing with crumpled papers, man. You're always once it's crumpled, doesn't mean it's done. You're always crumpling it up and it right, reevaluates, really right. and and because of that you can continually continually learn more and relearn and adjust the way you view a certain thing as you go on your life journey. Cause that's, I mean, you know, when you're a teenager, you view the world one way and you're an adult one way, you're older and adult, it just keeps it evolving. And so many of the beliefs you hold and the ideas you hold should evolve too. Um, and that's the healthiest way to go about it. Cause God leads you deeper and deeper on whatever individual idea or perspective that you view the world through a lens, um, which is. Can be daunting at sometimes, but also exciting. So that's all I got. Is there anything else you want to say, or are you are you good?
1: No, I mean, I I guess, well, I will say if I could say anything of encouragement yeah. to anyone who's on the fence or feeling like they don't understand who God is and they have a lot of hangups with the church. Um that um I really do like the alpha course that my husband and I took. Um, it's offered at many churches. It's not like just by one denomination or one church, and a premise of it is they actually don't allow Christians to come in and teach. There are facilitators and hosts. but the idea is to get all your issues with certain things on the table, um, so that you can eventually, if you want, then pursue an open and free relationship with God and, and learn more. But people, I think the idea that like moder- the modern church, um, you know, has sometimes, I think, caused so much either church hurt or childhood trauma, all of that, sometimes that has to get dealt with. Like you can put on yeah. the table how the Holy Spirit's been used against you in a, or if there's been like an evangelical Christianity where there's been, you know, too much manipulation, or if you're, you know, from other walks of faith and you have that like guilt, I have friends who talk a lot about Catholic guilt, right? Like whatever it is that like, and those denominations are all really good, but churches within those denominations can, cause hurt. And if you need to work through any of that stuff, any of your church hurt, I think finding a course where it's not like Christians teaching you what you are wrong about and you're right about, and just allowing you to process your pain. It was like the best thing I could have done for my walk with God. Um, and I would, you know, just let me know if anyone wants information on it because it was very healthy for us.
0: That's awesome. I love it. Um, before we end, if anybody wants to reach out to you, where is the best place to do that? I'll also, whatever you say, I'll link down in the description below, but go ahead and shout yourself out.
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, you can follow me on Instagram or Facebook. My name is Nicole Quinn, uh, last name H-U-Y-N-H. And uh, I would love to connect and talk about some of these issues if you resonate with anything that Austin and I talked about today.
0: Awesome. So both those links are down below in the description. Go, uh, go say hi. <laughs> All right, guys, that is it. Um, Nicole, thank you so much for joining me. This was an awesome conversation. I'm so glad you got to come on for this.
1: Thanks for having me, Austin.
0: I will see you guys in the next episode. Until then, peace out. Thanks for hanging with us on this episode of the Crumpled Papers podcast. The episode may be over, but the conversation's just getting started. If you have any questions or comments, or just want to say hi, send us an email at crumpledpaperspodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And make sure to follow us on social media to stay up to date with all things Crumpled Papers. All links are in the description. This is Austin, and I'll see you next time on the Crumpled Papers Podcast.